Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Today we are kicking off probably the next two or three weeks, but we're going to be talking all about the Olympic trials. As you know, here on the show, we don't focus on the professional side of running, but there are a lot of really interesting stories from the trials, and I cannot wait to get into them. Starting today is one of those. It's Josh Kalapos. Josh is was uh, the last man in, the last man in to the Olympic trials. He ran 218 flat at the 2022 Berlin Marathon, and he took that, springboarded it all the way up to 17th at the Olympic trials, 17th. You heard that right. Can you believe it? One spot behind Galen Rupp. Last man in to one spot behind Galen Rupp. What an incredible turnaround. You're going to hear all about that and much, much more. Also, at the end, it looks like we're winding down the podcast, and then I we pick it back up again because we were we were done recording. I asked him a question offline, and his answer was so good. I fired the mics back up and recorded that, and it just kind of put it right on the end of the podcast. But before we get into it, I want to give a shout-out to our presenting sponsor, a6. Yesterday, I had a workout. It was eight by two minutes at 10K with two minutes jog. I ran the warm up and the cool down in the Keanu 30, and then the workout in the Magic Speed 3. The Keanu 30, while it has traditionally been a stability shoe, and I don't need stability shoes, I don't care. This shoe is great. I think it's my favorite max cushioning shoe I've ever had. I'm, I can't say that definitively, but I'm leaning in that direction. It really is great. And then the Magic Speed 3 is just fast. It is super, super fast. I love that shoe. So head over to Asics.com today. Also, just a little tidbit. This year, I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff with Asics at a lot of races, going to races near you all around the country. We're going to be doing live shows at various independent retailers. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now, let's hear from Josh. All right, Josh Kalapos, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for getting me. I am so I am so excited to chat. That is for sure. I love your podcast over on D3 Glory Days podcast. They do great work. We actually had a couple of people who've been on both shows. I think Alex Burst is another one, um, especially in their lead up to the trials, who was on both. Because as a former D3 athlete and then you know later on D3 basketball coach, I love the D3 athletes, that is for sure. And it definitely fits the mantra of our podcast here with the dedicated amateur runners. And someone cannot be more of a dedicated amateur runner than someone who runs 214 and finishes 17th at the Olympic trials. Holy cow, Josh, what a performance. Thanks. Yeah, I was really excited uh, to finally cross that finish line. To be honest, yeah, I mean, it was the result of a lot of work, uh, definitely. But... I mean, it was just crazy big weekend. I've never really experienced anything like that. So we're not going to go chronologically here. I think we're going to start with the first thing first, and that is this past weekend in Orlando. So you qualify for the trials, and we'll talk about this race later. Uh, in Berlin in 2022, you finished 218 right on the dot. Again, we'll talk about that later. That's it's its own story, okay? But heading into the trials, you ran the McCurdy Micro Marathon um, out in October, I was actually at that race. I was one of the volunteers. I worked a couple of the the water st- the water oh. stops, and that was a, a really really fun race to be at. Can you talk to me about how that buildup went for you and what your mindset was going into that race as someone who'd already qualified for the trials? Uh yeah, sure. So yeah, for McCurdy, I mean, fun spectator course. It was like eight laps, <laughs> so you could definitely see plenty. Uh, I think that one was a a race where I wanted to take a big risk. Cause yeah, I had the 218 flat like qualifier. There wasn't really anything that would get better uh, by running something just slightly faster. Uh, and so that, I mean, my build was kind of long. It was like the whole summer and then early fall. Uh, and I was feeling really fit to try for like uh, a good time. And I mean, if you look at the results, I did go out, I think around like 212-ish pace for the first 17. And then things kind of unraveled uh, a bit. I had, uh, I mean, a lot, when thinking back, I guess it gave me a lot to improve on. Like that was the first race where I had really like dedicated bottles that I could, I was grabbing. And so like, that's like a whole different type of fueling than just grabbing cups from the, from the race course. Uh, so I had a lot of like stomach or I drank maybe my Martin too fast. <laughs> so I definitely handled that better at the trials. Uh, 
So I don't know. McCurdy, I felt like it was, it could have, if it gone, if it had gone well, that would have been great. But it was a really good trial run in trying to like achieve that kind of speed, like two twelve ish pace. Uh, yeah, some trial and error, you know. Absolutely, and it definitely gave you the ability to do that, right? I think some people get in that situation where the pressure's off. It can be like, all right, if the pressure's off, then also I can just kind of let it flow. There's no pressure here. If I have a good race rate, if I don't, again. There's no, there's no, um, there's no need to hammer. However, you can also take the op- the other opposite approach of like, hey, I can hammer here, and there's no negative repercussions. So why not take a big swing? That mm-hmm. race was, um, it was unique in a way where there were a lot of like groups that had formed prior to the race, right? Like, okay, this group is going to go for two oh nine. This group's going to go for two fifteen. I mean, sorry, two twelve. This other group will be hovering more around two fifteen. This is just from the the men's side of things, and then another group hovering around that OTQ time, right? Which was the the bulk of the field. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your decisions about where you purposely tried to fit in, because again, the two fifteen group was like the Mitch Amons group. Then Blankenship was in that group. There was also a group over there. So talk to me about how and why you fit into that field. I guess I, I don't know if I knew about all these kind of little pockets of runners forming at certain paces, but uh, I guess I had just chosen a group based on what I felt like I was training for. Like I was, uh, I mean, I have training partners in the BAA that were running. I mean, we were all running workouts together and I think uh, fitness wise felt like a 212 or 213. Uh was where we were at. And so, I mean, that's what I went out for. And I guess maybe conveniently, there were some groups that were also running that pace. Uh, so, yeah. So who who were the people that you were training with? And was there a coach that was also helping you guys or you specifically? Yeah. Uh, in the VA, um, I was training with like Matt McDonald and Jonas Hampton uh, and then other uh, people in the club. And we, our coaches, uh, Mark Carroll, so how long have you been working with them? For a bit, since like 20, spring 2022, uh, a bit after my, my first Boston Marathon. Or I joined the BAA right before Boston. And then, or I, yeah, I joined the racing team. And then after that, just started training. And that was kind of where I started my like Berlin Marathon build, which went well because that's where I qualified. Uh, and then so yeah, trained all last year with them as well. And then for this. <laughs> So what was it like learning from those guys? Jonas Hampton has run incredibly well. He's also another guy who works full-time just like you do and has had a lot of success at Boston specifically. Um, at McDonald as well has run incredibly you know, strong time. So what's been your evolution with them as someone who was new to that group and then has now shown, especially in training, if, if you were able to hold up with them, that you were you, you also had the goods just like they did? It was really like kind of – it took a lot of time. Uh to get into it like i think the start uh i feel like i was just tailing behind a lot and then just like over time getting like a little bit faster maybe getting dropped a little bit less uh i mean they both have like so much experience and so like i don't know maybe i, I asked like too many questions or i just like spend a lot of time watch <laughs> watching and yeah i mean i i really remember like in like early workouts just like not trying to take any like risks just like so long as i can just stare at like your back and just (laughs) stay fixed on the track and i can survive this workout i'll be i'll be happy uh yeah i don't know i i took it uh i don't i i felt like it was a really like like a privilege to be able to train with them a lot uh and so like yeah a lot of workouts i was like this is like a race like this is race day i gotta i gotta get better early and eat right uh so I don't know, it made me, I don't know, it, being in there made me feel like I had to like take full advantage of everything and being able to run with such such great people. Yeah, and I think that can certainly be the power of running groups. It sounds the way you're describing it, that they're kind of like, that, that what they were doing was kind of like, not, I wouldn't call it a stretch goal, but like more like it was right, it was on the periphery of what you were capable of. It seems to be like the sweet spot for growth where like it can push you to be focused and work hard, but it's not so far out where you feel like they are at a completely different tier or you can rationalize not being with them. If like, you know, you were so inclined or you were having a bad day or you're a little tired. It seemed like where they were compared to you were like right in that nice little sweet spot. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Sometimes like first going in, 
a lot of the workouts I was like I have never done something like this in my life. Oh, can and you give me an maybe, example? Like they're not even like crazy workouts. Like thinking about them now, they were like twelve or ten by K, and I was like I've never run ten by K. <laughs> I've I've only done like eight. I mean, this is from like from like college. Like I hadn't trained like that. Uh and like certain paces, right? Like uh even like two fifty K. I was like I've not run it, or I like in college training for the 5k ran like five by k at 250 and that destroyed me <laughs> and then there's going to be like 10 of them or something like that uh but i don't know maybe the the workouts at the start were like so out there that i was like well i might as well just try and see what happens and i don't know get i don't know get better each time uh i mean i think it's just like my my college coach once said just you know like to get fast just like run with really fast people and just get pulled along <laughs> So, I don't know, that's, that's worked out for me. I and think. what did that mean from a, a confidence perspective? It's like the mental and emotional side of things, right? So you're coming from college, you're coming from Carnegie Mellon, which is a very high-performing academic school. Also, it's in the UAA, which is a really, from a D3 perspective, a very, very competitive Division Three conference. Again, it also is still Division Three, but there are some really good schools in there. We're talking the NYU's of the world, Emory's, Brandeis, which you're close to now, someone who lives up in the Boston area. But at the same time, right, it's not elite level track and cross country. So talk to me a little bit about the evolution of your confidence and how that played into uh, your evolution as a runner since spring 2022. I think that kind of, I mean, the confidence definitely came really slowly. Like, I don't think it was immediate, but I mean, now at this point, I've been out of college as long or almost as long as I've, I was in college, you know, like three and a half years after school, like life can can change and you can grow a lot still uh <laughs> and so i don't know i think the the marathon was like so new that all of my standards were were flipped again so for racing like i don't know in college you're running 8k's or 5k's or slower and so like or shorter and so like the paces are totally different from like what you would start running the marathon in right like 230 pace for like a marathon is like 544 a mile right and I don't know, like when you're running, like my 5k PR was like 1430 something at the time. And that's like 440 pace. So I'm like, oh, just like add a whole minute to that and make it 26 miles. <laughs> Hard to comprehend. But uh, yeah, it's just a totally different set of rules. So uh, I don't right. know. I mean, shoot, like you, really. like if you look at the miles, like the your minute per mile in Orlando this year, there probably isn't too too big of a gap between that and maybe some of like your 8k cross country paces again it's, it's a different kind of course right your cross country course is inherently slower than running on the streets of orlando but it probably wasn't a huge departure from a time perspective yeah actually because yeah like what if 8ks i've run some like 26s or my i think my first 8k my freshman year was like a 2730 which right, is like right. five 530 pace uh and so yeah i mean college me i think there his mind would be blown by uh, the idea of me running like yeah 26 miles at at 508 or even like a half like at five flat or something right because i mean d3 and d3 cross country it seems like that it seems please correct me if i'm wrong because you would know better than i do but that like the 25 minute mark for an ak cross country course is kind of like the line of demarcation between like okay this person's like national Mm -hmm. caliber level and again which is like you said like basically five minute pace yeah yeah, definitely yeah, across like running under 25 uh at least when i was in school it was like kind of a was the cool thing to do <laughs> uh now i think like like the school like cmu like all the runners are so fast now <laughs> but uh yeah back then it was uh, i felt like yeah the first time i broke 25 i was really excited uh now yeah back in school i don't know for some of our workouts we had like marathon pace runs and it's funny to look at them now because they'd be like 15 or 520 and we'd be like oh like you could never run a marathon like this fast like why is it called a marathon pace workout uh i don't know just another way things have perspectives changed maybe right it's so funny because like obviously like no one was gonna be running a marathon in the middle of one of these seasons was it was it just kind of described as like kind of like a fun a fun fast effort like easy plus kind of vibe like how would you even describe marathon pace when you're in a college cross-country build uh i think if for workouts uh i'm gonna remember this right we had like tempo pace like runs right like 
a four or five mile workout and then there would be like the eight mile like mp run which is just like the it's kind of a calculated slower pace maybe that's threshold or i don't know what the the right workout term is oh yeah i was gonna say threshold is kind of described as like basically like one hour pace right like you're like so for someone like you it's probably closer to half marathon effort Mm -hmm. okay yeah so i don't know something in between then because eight miles at like five type 10 is like not yeah not an hour just 40 something minutes well let's talk about what it was like post mccurdy okay so you go out there you take a big swing you run in the t212 group in the last 10k or so you know it's like it didn't, wasn't your day you finished around 219 so obviously like the last 10k didn't go great so how did you process what went well during mccurdy and what things that were challenges and that and what did you learn for the following you know three to four months leading into the trials uh I guess in the immediate aftermath, because the trials build started so soon after, I took like an immediate vacation. Uh, I flew to Ireland the same day, actually, and then spent a week traveling Europe. So I didn't think too much in that week. But after, I don't know, I felt like I reflected a bit. And I don't know, I, I knew I, I had a great build with a lot of mileage uh, and good workouts. I think reflecting, we may I maybe went, like too deep in the mileage i think i was like a little bit like tired of just like stacking like 120 something mile weeks over and over again uh uh, and so kind of in this trials build we i did more focus on like getting like the workouts really good but then and keeping the mileage still pretty like like decent but nothing that would make me the week after feel like i'm not like improving anymore or like i've kind of stagnated uh so i like paid a lot more attention to that kind of feeling of like, how do these easy miles go? So in 2023, in the beginning of it, you're training for Boston. You have a stress fracture or stress reaction. So it makes you not stress be able fracture. to run okay. stress fracture. So you can't run Boston. And then McCurdy, the cycle leading to McCurdy obviously goes well. You go out with the 212 group. So then you have this cycle going into Orlando and you're running 120 miles a week. How does that, how does just from the mileage perspective, how does that compare to what you had done previously? For McCurdy, the like peak mileage didn't change it was just like how long you kept that going i think like mccurdy was second week of october and i remember like in like august i hit like 125 or something like eight eight ish 10 weeks out and then like 125 miles a week in august in boston is brutal (laughs) that is a lot of human running yeah a lot of i was yeah constantly pushing fluids i think in the office like at home uh yeah, and so yeah, just just that's yeah, that far out running that many that many miles. Uh, I don't know. It'll, it'll it takes its toll for sure. Uh, maybe like I know some people that can do it, but I don't know if that's like where I would I do the best growth wise. Uh, especially like when you're that's like when you're kind of getting a lot of hard workouts in too. Yeah. So you so you had hit that mileage already. You know, six months prior. So you're heading into Orlando. You're hovering around 120 miles at the same time. You have a full-time job. So walk me through, especially say like the work week, you know, how do you fit in your runs and what does the schedule look like in terms of like, you know, the times that you're running and the times that you're working? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and and I'll I'll make sure we can block this from your manager so they don't have to. (laughs) No, I, I can talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm really fortunate that, uh, like my, work situation uh I'm, i think i told you this a bit i'm a software engineer at amazon robotics and amazon right now has a, a hybrid work policy and so like three days a week in office i think is the official like encouraged requirement uh and so that allows me on some days at least when i'm working remote to like do a workout where it's not like at five or six a.m right <laughs> and so I can kind of shift my schedule around to work with that. And then on other days, like for regular runs, I would say it's just, yeah, like the usual, like wake up early and just get that run in and then shower and then go to the office. Uh, And then in the kind of higher mileage weeks, coming back home from the office and then running again Uh, and then eating and then going to sleep, Uh, rinse, repeat five days and have a weekend (laughs) run long run. 
Our podcast today is brought to you by V.O2, a coaching app based on the science of legendary coach Jack Daniels. Unlike most other running apps, V.O.T. is truly personalized, understands the type of runner you are, what you're aiming for, what you're training for, and how to maximize your effort. It gives you a more, basically gives you more control over your training, gives you feedback, and it really enhances the way that you can get data out of your training. And that's what I love so much about this system overall and the Jack Daniels stuff uh, in general. Like I think a lot of people in the coaching space have learned so much from Jack Daniels and all that is embedded in the app. And once you do, you know, basically find out exactly where you are in terms of your fitness, whether it's through a 5K, a 10K or a test, like a time trial, it can really dial in the kind of paces you should be doing for all types of efforts, whether that's easy pace, marathon effort, all the way down to interval and VDOT sessions, not, I'm sorry, VDOT sessions, but VO2 max sessions, which can be really helpful. So if you want to give it a try, go to v.o2.com today. Also get 20% off by using code rambling at checkout and you get a 14 day free trial to see if it's for you. So what's it like for the second run of the day? where you know, you have that run in the morning whether it's a workout or just you know the the 10 to 12 miles or so what's it like for you to to get that double in and is it something that you have to struggle with is it something that you really have to motivate yourself for or like how just i guess from a mindset perspective executing that double and then also just physically how it feels after you know again having the the work day uh sandwiched in between the two efforts uh I guess one, it probably depends on the time of year. Like in the summer, it's light out till like eight something up in Boston. So it's kind of nice just to like separate your work day from the rest of your day, I guess, with the little like five, six mile run. Uh, honestly, I like it's in the work. You can like look forward to it that, you know, I'm just going to go and just jog for a little bit, clear my head. Uh, things going in the winter, like Boston dark at four not as not as fun <laughs> i think uh to get home it's pitch black and you're like i have to go run uh in the cold and avoid ice uh so i don't know it varies definitely uh the double is definitely not as fun as the the first run of the day but i don't know have to trick yourself into like keeping morale high <laughs> i think because i don't know it's it's the second run is good for you uh keeps the legs loose <laughs> so someone who runs with baa and you talked about matt and jonas as well how often do you run with people whether they're in the baa group or they're just runners around boston now again i should mention this people who don't know like there's a lot of really good runners in boston not just from professionals mm -hmm. but high high level amateur runners it's an incredibly active town especially from the running perspective i live not far from there. i live about 45 minutes south so i'm able to see people just running casually extremely fast every time i go up there so i guess what's it like in terms of the ability to run with others and especially on that double or even in the mornings, like, do you ever have a chance to run with people on the easy sessions? Yeah, actually, uh, all the time, uh, I mean, Boston's crazy. Like I'm from Pittsburgh and like I'll run places and I mean, there'll be some runners, but it's nothing like going onto the Charles, like on a, on a good day <laughs> and just seeing like streams of people or just like going on the Boston marathon course when the marathon is coming up. Uh, Actually, for this build, it was actually, it was cool that uh, I live up in uh, in Somerville. And so Jonas and Matt, we all kind of live in this this triangle area. And so we just met for runs every morning, which just really kept things, things going. Like, <laughs> rather than just kind of holding yourself accountable independently, you just like say, I'm going to meet you here at 630. <laughs> let's, let's go. Uh, and so, I mean, that makes... I don't know. Running with people is like probably like one of the best things you can do to get like consistent training in. Right. So now have you ever had yeah. a gap in time where you weren't part of some sort of, you know, running cohort? Obviously when you're in high school and college, you have your teams. And then when you, you know, post-college, uh, obviously you, you jumped in with these guys, but there was this gap in time from 2020 to 2022, you know, post-graduation to meeting up with them in the spring of 2022 where maybe you didn't have that element was that ever the case or you've always had the social side of things as well uh yeah club wise yeah i mean everyone 2020 to 2022 is the, the dark ages <laughs> i think because of covid for a lot of 
people. And uh, yeah, so I just moved to Boston, but I moved in with uh, some friends from my from the track team, so or the Carnegie track team. So a couple guys that were already living up here, we like got like a new lease uh, for a house together to to live. And so I didn't have like an official club or club practice or anything, but I spent a lot of or we spent a lot of just runs like house runs together uh not really training for anything just like kind of you know everything is closed might as well go on a a run around the mystic lakes or something like that uh and so yeah no yeah not a not a club but it still felt like part of something or had people to run with all right before we start talking about the trials i guess one last thing before we get into it is what was the allure with the marathon because you were in a situation, you're, you're living with these people who are on your CMU track team, right? There are countless races up in Boston that are, you know, either road races or like we just saw this weekend, right? The same weekend as the trials is the New Balance indoor meet at BU. It's, you know, it is to, you know, the, the indoor track community, what seemingly the trials is to the endurance community. There's no shortage of shorter options in the Boston area, specifically for someone like yourself. So why the marathon and why seemingly the marathon is like the sole goal? I guess like when you put it like that, it seems like obvious that there's so many races in Boston, but for, uh, I guess a 22 year old who just kind of was coming back from a broken ankle and didn't really want to do anything with competitive running, I guess, or like to go back to the track again. Uh, I don't know. I think road racing was, it seemed different. And then the marathon seemed something totally different from what I was running that I wanted to, to try it out. And also like when you go to Boston, I feel like, I mean, the race that you hear about the most is the Boston marathon. Like the track races, they're there. If you're like a Boston runner and you've kind of been around and like listening to things, but there's no, there's no one escapes the Boston Marathon, but when they live here, so like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, especially during COVID when there's no race, there's no races going on. That's right? a great like, point. That's a great point. I do closed. wonder if things would have changed if it was like 2016 instead of 2020 when you moved there. But that 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 definitely puts a big element on it. Is the the fact that a lot of races were closed down or there was a, a significant pause in racing during the, during mm-hmm. the time the critical period when you first moved into town. Yeah, I mean, when I, well, I think when I first moved to Boston, I don't think I really had any intention of uh, like running competitively again. Like it wasn't really in my plans, and it kind of was just slowly getting drawn back into. Chokes it. on you, Jit. Chokes <laughs> on you, Josh. <laughs> I know. I didn't know what life had in store for me uh, when I was just there. So, yeah, I mean, even when I ran my first marathon race, uh, just to get the the BQ. Like my goal was just to like run like or was to run two fifty because it was just like the the safe way to get underneath the like additional cutoff that sometimes happens or usually happens now. Uh yeah, and then now like that's <laughs> or it's forty, I don't know, forty four, forty six minutes. <laughs> Different. Uh or that's bad math actually. It's not <laughs> Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right. I, I do it does change potentially you know how things would have worked out if it maybe hadn't been um you know right at the 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 high point of covid and how that changed the scene from a racing perspective there's no question about it speaking of racing let's talk about this weekend so you're going in you have some high level training you have some high level training partners you have an experience in mccurdy that shows that at least for an extended period of time you can run with some extremely good runners so you're going into the trials. You've recorded this podcast with Noah Drotti, um, who I, I bring him up because he's also running the trials. And they ask you, hey, Josh, what is this as, as the kind of the last man in again, which is kind of an unfair proposition. Again, we'll probably use that nomenclature when we're when we're, you know, marketing the podcast because it is a catchy clickbaity thing to say. But you were last yeah. man. But this was also in 2022. Right. This wasn't like a mm-hmm. CIM six weeks out from the race. But as a last man in, they asked you, like, what, what do you think your goals are going to be going into the race? And you were pretty bold in, in your response. Can you can you kind of break that down for us for people who maybe didn't hear that that podcast? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I said my goal was <laughs> just to try to make the team, which was just a lot <laughs> a big, maybe a big ask, but uh, that or top 10. But I don't know. Yeah, I felt like I, I had grown a lot. And so I was like, I'm not the. 218 runner that I was like there's been a whole 
year and a half, like three solid builds uh, with races that didn't show the time. But I know, I mean, I I felt like each time I grew after and gained more fitness. And I was like, you know, I'll say this and like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for it in the race. And hopefully like this time, like, you know, I, I get a hit, like, and like actually accomplish my goal. Uh, so. I mean, I loved it. I, I loved the, the talk. I loved the idea behind it. I was like, yeah, this is the goal, man. Like it, it's, it's almost one of like those descending things. Like if I think I can make top 20, well, then why can't I make top 15? If I think I can make top 15, why can't I make top 10? Like if I think I make top ten, then why can't I make top five? And then kind of, kind of that descending mm-hmm. domino effect of like, what if, what if, what if? Especially if you're running with people who are the caliber of the people you were running with. So, was there any feedback after that podcast? Because first of all, I loved it, and I was like, I couldn't wait to follow you on on that day. And someone, especially who's seen you race in person in middle of October, did you get any feedback after that? Uh, maybe, maybe just like from my some of my friends. I mean, I. The friends that I, I like keep in touch with, they kind of know where I'm at. So maybe they weren't quite as surprised as what I wanted to get out of the race. Uh, but definitely some other friends were like, oh, like, are you like, are you really fit right now? Or like, <laughs> what's going on? Uh, I don't know. I also, I mean, I felt kind of nervous saying it because of course I, even though I felt fit, like I had, I mean, my only, my real race time was 218.00. So I was like, I hope people don't take this like the wrong way that there's this guy that's just like, I'm going to go try and run this and like be called like a crazy person or something. But I didn't actually get any of that. So I was uh, relieved. Let's fast forward to the day because my goodness, Josh, like this is what you did on that day is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, we were looking at someone who had one of the most even pace days on the race course, right? You, not only did you go from tech quote unquote last man in again, there's a huge enormous asterisk next to that statement because of when it happened. Um, but you're someone who not only did you finish 17th, which is an incredible, incredible performance, but you also ran exceptionally strong and especially on that kind of the day. And I can't wait to get your opinions on how the day played out from a weather perspective. Um, you know, every single mile you had on the course was sub 530, right? Like, and it was basically between, I'm looking at the official splits here. You ran a 451 mile nine, which was like technically your fastest one, but really you're hovering between most of the day between five and, you know, 520 for the, the vast portion of the day, which is incredibly well done by you. There are a lot of people who go out fast on trials day thinking like, hey, what do I have to lose? Right. I might as well go out fast. And a lot of people pay for in the second half, especially on a day like this. So I'd love to hear again, maybe just you can kind of take this however you want to. But what were some of the keys for you about executing your plan and putting yourself in a position to sustain that kind of pace for the duration of the marathon, where for so many people on the men's and women's side, it was incredibly difficult. We only had 41 people on each side go sub Olympic trials qualifying standard. So for the men sub 218 and for the women sub 237. So even going sub, you know, qualifying standard was a huge lift on that day. I mean, the race was, was no doubt very difficult. And I mean, we knew it was coming, right? Like that it was going to be hot, uh, or just, uh, I mean, hot and sunny, of course it's, it's Florida. And we prepared for that somewhat like before the race, a month out, I was living in Tallahassee, which is like, you know, a bit further north. So a bit cooler, but at least there's humidity and sun. Uh, and so that was that was good preparation. But even still at the race, it was probably like 15 degrees warmer than what I'd usually run in for like hard, hard efforts. Uh, Especially later so, in the race. Like there was a, yes, but- a, a huge weather shift from like say 9 30 when you're you know around the starting line getting ready versus two hours later i was on course i was at like i was at a couple of different spots and like there was first of all, a huge difference between the shade and the sun and mm-hmm. just like in that two hour period i think the weather went up 20 degrees yeah probably i actually didn't check the end but yeah i mean exposure was also i think a big uh deal in the race especially on the like the other side of the uh the course where the airport is like you're just baking in the sun and that's i think each lap where i kind of felt at my at my lowest and had to had to rally to come all the way back to Orlando downtown uh I mean yeah, in terms of how the race went even that in keeping that in mind I still kind of went out uh 
a bit risky because like if you look at my splits i think it was 65 30 for the first half and then i think that makes it like 68 56 or something for the second half uh that's like two or yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, and so it was a, it was a positive split, but uh, I don't know. It doesn't tell the really the whole story because the the first half of the race was just so much energy. So like everyone is trying to like see and like test how how fast that they can go, right? And so I was like with the group the whole time for the, like the first the first half, I think, and. The second half is really where I think things got interesting and I had to like grind like I've never just grinded before. Like my my legs like my legs started to fail. Uh <laughs> and like I started to get really warm and so I had to like just take every single water bottle. Uh it was actually really great that the they had all those hydration stations out there. I don't think I would have been <laughs> been able to run. Uh I don't know. There's a lot. Of, I mean, I'm trying to retrace my steps because it kind of now feels like all blur, even though the last half kind of, I know, felt like an eternity while I was running it. Well, uh, I, it's, you were kind of in that second pack, right? So the first mm-hmm. pack, people who watched the watched it live or have seen some of the recaps were the BYU boys. And Zach Panning was leading that out, right? And then you were mm-hmm. kind of in that second pack um, uh, of, of people as well. I think that it's funny how the men's and women's were very similar in that regard kind of like the first pack was roughly 10 to 14 people for both the men and the women and there was kind of a second pack and then for the men it was like frank lara was between the two packs <laughs> so he was like ran by himself the whole race which is kind of a funny little thing but um so as you're progressing again you run the first half again according to the official splits in 105 32 right so mm-hmm. a faster clip than you ran of a curdy which was again ideal weather conditions you know, in the, you know, there wasn't even any sun exposure during, during that one. So you go out in mm-hmm. 105, 32, how much are you trying to gauge how you're feeling in that moment? And, you know, I guess making decisions based on that versus just going pure race mode and saying, all right, here are the people around me and I want to either stay with them or, you know, get ahead of them or, or things of that nature. Yeah. At half. I think like 13 through 16 was probably like the most confident I felt in the race. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thinking back now, it was kind of a funny decision. When I crossed half, I threw in the surge to try to break away from that pack and try to catch up to some other guys. And then I was quickly like reminded by my body that that was a bad idea. And then I just fall back and just was running more reasonable, like five Oh something's pace. Uh, yeah, I should say. So mile 14, five Oh two mile 15, five Oh one. 16, 507, 17, five flat. And then it, and then you went up back to like the teens and low twenties at that point. Yeah. So I think, yeah, really it's 16. But it might, that was, I think the start of like when you start heading back to Orlando and that's where I kind of lost contact with that second chase pack. And there I'm actually, I'm pretty proud of that. Like when that pack started to go, I think, there was like two options or maybe threes somehow to like catch up to them, which would have been, I don't know, maybe out of the cards at that moment. And like two to just like kind of feel all the pain and just like stop and like slow down and give up. And second, just to like go to, instead of like, I don't know, the, the race a plan, go to the race B like to just hammer through it. And I don't know. I'm pretty proud that I was able just to like say like, I, it's not, it's not over yet. Like I can, still like maintain these like five teens or five twenties. And if I can maintain that, it's going to be a a good result. And uh, I guess what I didn't realize at the time is that even by running those paces, I would still end up passing a bunch of people (laughs) because yeah, let's, I can't wait to talk about that. I can't wait to talk about that because so mile 18 is the beginning of the last lap. So we have a mm -hmm. 2.2 mile kind of, you know, appendix to start the race. And then we have three, eight mile loops. So you hit mile 18, you know, you're, you're coming down, you come, you come down South street, you take a right on Rosalind. The crowds are enormous during that mm-hmm. section. You loop back on orange again, this is an enormous crowd surge right there. Can you walk me through the beginning of that lap? Because I feel like there's this juxtaposition of like, first of all, it's mile 18 of marathon. So like it's hard, things are getting hard, right? Yep. But it's also, I'm assuming a pretty big boon in terms of like the crowd support 
around that area. So can you just walk me through how you were feeling and how, you know, the, the just position of like how your body felt versus just kind of the energy of the moment? Yeah. I mean, coming into the, into Orlando, uh, I don't know, just the crowds just really get you going. And that was like, there was one spot right at the, you're finishing the long stretch back in Orlando. And then you go onto the straight where the finish line is. I had a right. couple friends there and I would round that turn and they were just leaning basically over the railing and were like in my face <laughs> as I started. And so I was like, all right, this is the last lap. It's time to, to not pick it up, but really just maintain. Or maybe I tried to pick it up, but it just ended up maintaining like just mentally increasing the effort but still just staying the same pace uh and so yeah then that proceeded to be like the longest eight miles ever uh and i mean there's a lot of good spots where like there's the 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 180 turn where you can see where a lot of the race is ahead of you and like just like kind of peek at a lot of people and kind of see how how they're doing and there i was like oh there's some guys up i could i might be able to catch and then on the way out uh actually some other guys i think were behind me were thinking the same thing caught up and we worked for like a couple miles together uh yeah which is kind and, of like and i was and i was right in that spot so i was after the turnaround half a mile up you go th- under the overpass and take a right <laughs> onto anderson that's yeah. where we were most of the time it was under the overpass so you got a really good view as they're coming up and then turning the corner there so you got a chance to see people like like that's when like galen rupp was suffering just suffering you see him coming like oh my god and then like again some of the people like in your group who were kind of coming on you're like oh these guys look different these guys look again everyone's hurting so it's a relative statement but you could tell that you know the the group that you were in at that point was a group that was you know on basically like it was game time look let's make it happen here versus the uh uh-oh can i hang on people which again it's, it's understandable but you could see the difference in the demeanor yeah, I mean, internally, uh, yeah, I was, yeah, I was suffering a lot. <laughs> but then I also like looked at some videos that my family took. Like, from my perspective, I thought my form was falling apart, and I was just like <laughs> trying to put one foot in front of the other. And then I look at like a video my mom has. I'm like, oh, all right, I look pretty good in there. <laughs> like, or like uh, my legs are hitting the right places, and you know, like I actually have a full stride and not like some hitch that I thought I was running through. Uh, and so. I don't know, two totally different things. So, I mean, yeah, but even with all that pain, I think morale-wise, I wasn't totally defeated. And yeah, like when other people came up and we started to work together, uh, I don't know, we started looking at people a bit further ahead and be like, let's try to catch that guy. <laughs> and were you were you actually saying that to the people with you, or do you think that was just kind of the understanding? Uh, I did say it once because there was a guy right ahead, and I was like, we have to catch him, and then the guy actually stopped running. So it wasn't as hard as uh, it was going to, I was going to make it to be, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I don't know. We worked together for a little bit because I mean, it was all about getting, getting to the finish line uh, too. And if those people help you pass three people, then, and there's only like one of them, you're not going to like, it's a, it's a net gain. I think, Uh, I don't know from the perspective of how you want to place. Well, let's talk about the, the two marathons that preceded this, the ones that you were able to finish, right? You had the Berlin experience where, you know, you are kicking hard to get to 218 flat. Like you are going really hard. This is not CIM. This is not McCurdy. You are alone. Like this is like, this mm-hmm. is not a major time stamp for that race. You're actually just kind of like just off the leading. You're basically, you're like with the leading women for the vast majority of the time. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about, what you learned at Berlin going for it and pushing through that uncomfortable period and maybe what you learned in McCurdy where things kind of tumbled down the rabbit hole a little bit for you in the waning miles and how you were able to channel the, the, like the, the positive, the positive person on your shoulder and not the negative person on your shoulder, you know, when things were not only uncomfortable for you physically, but also it was getting hot and it was obviously, you know, one of the, the biggest efforts you've ever put in. Uh, I guess from Berlin, I learned that, you know, there's always something left that you can give at the end of the race and that like you're hurting, but there's, there's always more. Uh, I have a video of me coming through the Brandenburg gate 
where I think that's like 400 meters to go. And I, it shows, I look, I remember because I look at my watch and see like, oh God, I have like 70 or less seconds left. I have to, I have to sprint. And like there I made that decision, just go all in. And like, fortunately I had it, which was like, you know, you don't feel like you have it, but you know, once you finally ask your body to it'll go. And uh, I guess from McCurdy, I learned that for, I guess in terms of pacing, like you can have a great, first half of the race but you can things can go south quickly like you know like six minute miles like add up to your time a lot uh so like i, don't know. I also kind of learned that at at the trials as well that like my first like half was like uh i was kind of fretting about like whether something was a 501 or like a 504 and like what pace am i on but relative to like running a 528 versus a 520 like you know i think a 520 to 528 is a lot easier than a 5 to 504 right like so but they're clockwise the you know the 5 running a 520 is better than <laughs> getting uh just a couple seconds faster on those early miles uh yeah for sure right, so like, t- so so walk me through the last half mile right so you're in a position where you basically you, pa- you pass Frank pretty close to that right were you able to, were you able to like ID him as you were going past uh, not really. I was just like, uh, just, I don't know, screaming at myself mentally inside, <laughs> uh, and getting people. I saw actually my old, uh, assistant, uh, cross country coach from college. And he just was like, Josh, you gotta go. Like you look good. And I was like, I don't know about that, but I, I hear you. <laughs> like, well, let's, let's uh, talk about this because so, so, so Frank, Laura, again, someone that is a really well-known guy, an awesome guy, went out really strong, but kind of stumbled uh, in the last, in the, in the waning miles. You're in a situation where, especially in the last half mile, were you aware who was ahead of you? And were you aware that there was someone coming hard behind you? Because you push hard. You run, you run that last point two in 454 pace. The gentleman behind you, Lyle O'Brien, ran in a couple sec was running a little bit faster and finished three seconds behind you. But the person in front of you was Galen Rupp who was hemorrhaging time a little bit. So were you more focused on yourself, the person ahead of you or the person behind you? Or maybe just uh, the crowd itself, because again, people were going absolutely ballistic on Rosalind as you were heading down the, the finishing shoot. Yeah. As for, I actually had no idea someone was right behind me and like, <laughs> I had no sense of that at all. So like from people tell me like there was this guy trying to hockey, I'm like, wait, what? Uh, I mean, so, I mean, really like coming the last 800, I like I was just trying to 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 finish my race as fast as I could like I really until like 300 meters to go like I was like wait is that that's like a Nike <laughs> uniform is that is that Galen uh and so I mean I didn't know I was I was that close or anything or if there was like a chance I mean I don't think I would have been how I don't think I would have been able to go that that much faster honestly like uh I don't know if, like if I had another 800 meters. Maybe I could have demanded it somehow, but I'm also like, I wouldn't have one. If you gave me the choice of like just finishing right there, or running another 800 meters to catch Galen, I think at that moment I would have just been like, I'm going to finish. Like it's, it's this, this is done. <laughs> well, kudos to you. It was the fastest uh, 800 meters of your race and you did it and you did it at the end of the race. So obviously like things were, were clicking pretty good. Again, Lyle O'Brien can say the same thing. I mean, he ran up, you ran yours in 454, pace the last point two and he ran his at 449 so he probably he probably wishes he had a, a couple extra hundred meters but you were you were kicking hard too my man like there's no question about it i guess last thing before i talk a little bit about some more macro stuff is just what what were the emotions upon finishing and are there even any comparison points with races in your past i mean immediate just exhaustion i i fell into the wheelchair <laughs> i like crossed the finish line looked at the people that were like congratulating you. And I was like, I'm, I like motion to like bring them over. Cause I was like, my legs can't hold me. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I was, yeah, I was really excited or like, you know, relieved to like have like taken like the risk of trying to run fast and that it had, it had paid off. Uh, I mean, I had a rough idea of, I guess what I thought, I think I knew I was around like 16th or 17th place. Uh, brain wasn't working that great. But I don't know, it was, it was really exciting. Like my family was really, it was nearby. So like, I just immediately linked up with them. I had a couple friends that were also watching that we had, like met up with like a couple minutes after and it was just, you know, hugs all around. 
uh so i mean i had a bunch of people of course that i knew from boston that like were also like you know they had they finished the race and then i saw them in like the athlete air area and so we all like celebrated and everything so it was yeah i mean it was a good good uh i don't know follow-up after the race uh all in the meantime trying to like stay stay alive <laughs> because like i was just running on fumes <laughs> All right, let's talk about representation. I want to cover two things. First, first being, you know, being a D3 athlete, right? Or someone who isn't at the name brand college track and field programs and being able to do something on par with those individuals and oftentimes beating them, which is exactly what you did this past weekend. Also, being an Asian American uh, as well. So I guess we'll start with the D3 stuff because we've already kind of talked about it a little bit. What would you say to individuals who were like you? who are you know, really good D3, D2, low D1 runners um, and are just curious about what they can do post-college, but maybe because of that uncertainty inherent in that question, they're uh, just maybe reticent to, to go for it. If you want to run fast, like just like go find out, like, or just, you know, train, like, I don't know. You shouldn't count yourself out of like some like big goals, I think. Uh you're i mean for the marathon specifically right like you're kind of aerobic peak is what like when you're when you're 30 or 31 about right uh and so maybe just it's different for the marathon because there's just so much more room to grow after college like you shouldn't count yourself out like you know just because you ran like some paces doesn't mean you can you can't get a lot faster uh if you work hard uh i mean now like after college as well like maybe you have less distractions or something, or you can kind of create the the schedule you want um, or like balance it with work. And so I don't know, just go, just get out there. I think is just the only advice I can give. <laughs> right. I guess, you know, college times are not destiny. That's for sure. I mean, we saw it on the women's side yeah. too. Dakota Linworm was a division two walk on. Right. And there's gonna be a lot of people mm -hmm. talking about that over the next couple of weeks. And it's already happened over the past year, but she's going to the, she's going to the Olympics. She was a division two walk on. Right. And someone who has mm -hmm. gotten significantly faster, even post-college, which is an awesome thing. I guess lastly, before we get going, just talk to me about, you know, representation and also, and my friends, Carolyn Sue and Stephanie Flippin talk about this all the time with their Making Strives podcast and just two of, two of my good friends, just talking about like the idea of seeing somebody like yourself. Into, like, this is more generally, not like you specifically, but having, being able to see people succeed that look like you can be such a boon and can really unlock it. So what's it been like for you as an Asian American, either looking for folks who, you know, that you view as someone who's representative of your experience, but also someone who now has done it, who people are now going to look at and say, if Josh can do it, maybe I can do it. So what, talk to me about the representation piece and how it's played a part in your life and how maybe um, you're going to play a part in someone else's life moving forward. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I guess it would be it would be cool for people to if they saw me to like be inspired to think that they can also try uh and and run fast and like I don't know achieve their their running goals. Uh I mean, for myself because I went to I don't know for to Carnegie Mellon, I don't think there was from my end any like lack of I guess Asian American runners just given the the way uh CMU's demographics are built up. Uh and so I don't know, I've always been around a lot of a lot of diversity and a lot of uh, diverse people uh and so yeah i never felt like too uh rest restricted by it and so maybe that's why i was able just to like go and like run the way that i wanted uh but yeah i mean it's definitely i mean something that we like the way everything can be improved on you know to get more people out there running of all like different kinds of backgrounds and you know because you know running is you know is, is for everybody like there's nothing that can stop you from running if you want to run. <laughs> like, and this is something that Carolyn and Stephanie, I know, talk ad, ad nauseum about on their podcast, that like setting that precedent is so important because it does make it so that it's not another, you know, either a real barrier or just the perception of a barrier that, that, that can be self-limiting in certain cases. Yeah, I think I was really fortunate to have that kind of uh, experience in, in college. And then also like after college, the, you know, the friends that I have that I run with, uh, I think are just, just, you know, all kinds of different, different people that, you know, just, you know, lending me their support or being a training buddy uh, or giving and me fun, encouragement. And fun fact, the last man and the last women are both Asian American 
athletes who went to Division three schools and who are currently living in Boston. So that's oh, a fun yeah. fact for the trials this year. Tammy Shea was on the podcast post CIM. She talked about her experience. She didn't even run in college. Mm-hmm. She went to Tufts, didn't even run in college. And she's out there and she had a she had a really good day. Mm-hmm. She ran, I think, 240 this past weekend and looked very, very strong out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know Tammy. Or I mean, we're both in Boston, so of course we've been around. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, <laughs> cool fun fact, I guess. Like a little trivia question. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of, especially with <laughs> the D3 part in there too. You're like, holy cow, like this is pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're we're out there, <laughs> D three runners, Asian Americans, I guess. I love it. Well, hey, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show, and even much and much more importantly, just showing us what people are capable of doing. Like what you've been done over the past couple of years has been remarkable. We didn't even get into it, like your horrendous ankle injury at CMU, where like your ankle like basically turns the opposite direction. I actually witnessed someone doing that. I was coaching college basketball, and one of my athletes while we were mm-hmm. playing at Brandeis, coincidentally enough, I know it's a place where you run a lot. You did the mm-hmm. same thing happened to him while we were while I was coaching him, and it was like a horrendous injury. I was actually had, was able to sit, you know, sit you know cockpit watching him rehab post injury, and it was a very very hard experience. So the fact that you were able to come back from that and reach incredible heights, and you're just again you're still a young guy, man. You're still just getting started. It's so so inspirational, so motivating, even and more importantly, just so awesome to witness. So thank you so much for all the work you put in and being able to share it with us as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, hopefully good things to come in the future. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for what comes next. All right, guys, one last thing. <laughs> Josh and I were talking offline. I had to get this in. I was told Josh I was going to ask this question, and then I forgot to ask it. And then when I asked it after the podcast, he started saying a really interesting answer. So I want to make sure we get in. And Josh, what, I, what we were talking about was in, in certain households, there can be this push and pull between the academic excellent side and the athletic excellent side. And for a lot of families, the idea of being like, hey, you can participate in athletics, but it's going to stay in the participation side, right? Like when it comes to excellence and really pushing in, putting in like a massive amount of time and effort, we're going to focus more on the academic side of things. And you want to play sports, fine, but like we're just talking about play here. What was it like for you growing up as someone who obviously is a, a very, very bright individual, went to one of the best universities in the world um, and then obviously it's now one of the best runners in the country. So what was it like for you managing that, that process and potentially some of the, the parental push and pull? My, my biggest like, you know, motivators are of course, like my parents and then especially my mom, like school wise, just from, from birth, I think on me about math <laughs> and like reading and like, you know, like taking tests. And I mean, that was, that was my life. And then sometimes in, and so at some point in high school, uh, like, you know, you start to become a bit more like self-motivated to like kind of figure out what you want to want to do in life. And like that's I started running my sophomore year. And so I was starting to have to balance year round like track and cross country. And like I don't know, oftentimes uh, like my mom was like, oh, this is like, you know, something that you put on your college application resume to be like a well-rounded individual. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people do that. Right. Uh, and so, I mean, at some point, like my, my mom would always pressure me to like, you know, study a lot and things or like, why aren't I, you know, you know, studying more or like, rather than like, or hanging out with my friends or like, you know, or running and things like that. And at some point I I got mad and like, we had this whole argument and it kind of, what came out was, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of business, right? Like my, my grades are going to be good. Like I'm going to, you know, take care of everything, you know, prepare for standardized tests and so long as those things are okay, don't bother me on, you know, what I'm doing outside of that, like, you know, running, like I'm going to train hard and I'm going to, you know, study hard. And, you know, like, so long as the grades are good, then don't like, yeah, don't, don't quite ask or like break everything down or ask me to like study more and replace it. Uh, and that's kind of like, yeah, even, yeah, even in college, it, it was like similar my mom, uh, I don't know, it, it has, I mean, has become more like supportive of the idea that like, I'm like a like a fast runner, not like uh, someone who's just running is like to become like well-rounded, I think like that. Uh, like she's like now like one of my like, I think greatest supporters running wise. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I had to like cut some kind of deals uh, to like, you know, balance, you know, and, you know, so a lot, my mom was, is relieved, you know, that I have, you know, a full-time job and I'm not, you know, pursuing <laughs> running like full-time, you know, like, so I'm handling that business end while, you know, also, you know, pursuing my, my dream of like, you know, 
becoming fast and competitive. So what was the parental reaction after the race? Uh, just, you know, <laughs> excited. And my parents were like, I mean, they're just like, wow. Like I, I, you said that you were like training hard, but I didn't know it was going to be this kind of crazy outcome. Right. <laughs> like, uh, it actually like was unknown whether for a little bit, whether both my, both of my parents were going to come down because I have two younger sisters. One is still in high school. Uh, and so it was like, well, if they both go, then, uh, who's, uh, gonna like watch my, my younger sister. And fortunately my other younger sisters in, in college was able to just kind of like, you know, take care of the house while they're away. So I was, I mean, really happy to have, you know, both my parents there, uh, to support. And so like, we could all just share that moment together. So when they're bragging to the neighbors, what comes up first now, do you think? Do you think it's the Olympic trials uh, race result or or the, the job at Amazon Robotics? Which, which one comes out first? Uh, <laughs> probably run. I think running is the more fun thing to talk about for them. Uh, I mean, everyone's got like uh, a son who has a, has a job. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know. You don't want to hear like a lot about that. So like, just let's, yeah, let's share. Like my son is, was running the marathon. Definitely a bit of a cooler talking point, you know, so much more to talk about than uh, software engineering, especially like, you know, my dad's not a software engineer. He can only go so far in the same way. I can only talk so much about chemical engineering because that's what he does. <laughs> I... I love it. Josh, thanks for, for diving back in on this topic. This is a great one. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we did that. That's for sure. All right. Keep up the good work, my man. Thanks. Yeah. Good to add that at the end.